Everyone is a salesperson. I don't care what business you're in, what your role is, what your title is, particularly if you own a business, you have to get good at selling. And in order to get good at selling, you have to get good at prospecting. But selling and prospecting are two very different things, and we have to have a different mindset for each of those roles. And that's why I brought Mary Lou Tyler, founder of Strategic Pipeline and author of Predictable Prospecting, onto this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is a book you should read. This is a show you should check out. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by SaneBox. Get some sanity back in your inbox. Take control of your inbox. Get all that stuff out of there that is dragging you down. I'm going to give you a special offer later in the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Mary Lou Tyler. She's the founder of Strategic Pipeline, a Fortune 1000 sales process improvement consulting group, but it also has a lot to say about small business. And we're going to talk about her latest book, Predictable Prospecting, How to Radically Increase Your B2B Sales Pipeline. Some of you may know Mary Lou because she's also a co-author of a very, very popular book that I've talked about before called Predictable Revenue. So, Mary Lou, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, in in every sales conversation today, and you and I have talked before about the, the idea that many salespeople, even if they're in one of these Fortune 1000 companies, but certainly the owner of a small business is a salesperson as well, um, what role does... I mean, I know the answer to this. I know what role strategy plays in the sales uh, <laughs> conversation, but for a salesperson, you know, how, how do they have to understand, uh, marketing strategy or the overall business's strategy, the ideal client, the message and you know, all those things? How, how do they have to plug into that to take advantage of it? Well, it all starts really with understanding the SWOT and uh, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of whatever it is that you're offering. And we take it even further in the new book and try to get you to slice and dice that thing six different ways so that what starts emerging is truly where you serve, who you serve, why you matter, and why they should buy from you. And that's really the whole planning phase is a lot of people don't give it the credit it deserves for the success of a business developer or a closer or a service or whatever role you're playing. The planning pieces are paramount in order to be able to create a predictable stream of revenue for your company. I tell you what I see very often in, in organizations that I work with, and they might have five or six salespeople and two of them kill it. And three of them are constantly struggling to keep up because there isn't any kind of attachment to strategy or even sales process. Do you do you come across that and, and try to fix that in some cases? Well, I think uh, yeah, the short answer is yes. And it's ubiquitous, whether you're in a large company or a small company. The idea of adherence to a process or, heaven forbid, you know, actually continually improving a process is just not something that sales folks or sales organizations focus a lot on. Not all, but it's a very small percentage of people who understand the data is something that we look for and look towards 
creating a predictable stream of revenue because it's giving us the data points, the talking points, the conversation points, where we where we did well, where we didn't do so well. And it's all there embedded in our uh, conversations as we wrap up these phone calls and meetings with our prospects. So adherence to process, tweaking continually, failing forward. Don't be afraid of making mistakes because that's how we learn. Our brains just love making mistakes so that we get better and better. And that's what process gives us the opportunity to do. So would you say that this is a reasonable approach? One of the things I see most people attempt to do if they're going to create a process is is they've got that one or two people that are killing it and they say, go figure out what they're doing. I mean, is that a reasonable process? Yeah, I like to look at the data, right. but I am an engineer, so I'm more of a data person than I am a quote unquote people person. Right. So I like to look at the data first and have it tell me the story. And of course, I'll look at the outliers as well as the midstream, you know, the bubble, the people who are the 80 percent of the people and model them. But I, I'm not just looking at the outliers or the 20 percent because it doesn't always tell us the full story. Yeah. They might have been connected, you know, to a large network or something in their past. I mean, there are a lot of things that can lead to that, right? There's a whole plethora of things. Yes. Yeah. So one of the ideas that you introduce uh, or at least expand upon in predictable prospecting is this idea of, of organizations having dedicated prospectors that, you know, they're not the people that close, they're the people that find and set appointments perhaps. But, you know, isn't prospecting a big part of what a salesperson is supposed to do? You know, I, I can talk out both sides of my mouth on this one. And I do get a lot of pushback on the multi-role versus singular role. Predictable revenue was all about separation of roles. We felt that having a business developer do business development because of the mindset of a business developer where it's it's continuous habit, it's hard worker mentality, you're not finessing it really a lot of things. You're you're just getting up, doing the work, working hard, improving. That type of person may be a little bit different than someone who's building a relationship uh, that's longer term with the prospect. So you're going to go through the nuances of behavior with the prospect and their ups and downs, their trials or tribulations. So I liken it to the prospectors are really great at dating and the closers are really great at getting engaged and married and continuing that conversation and that relationship all the way through. That really, it, it hasn't been debunked yet, but I do have 48% of my my community do all roles. So they're trying to figure out a way to add prospecting and bolt it on to their normal selling practice. But that piece of it has to be habitual and has to be done consistently. And, and you could make a case for it being um, something that's very practical too, right? I mean, prospecting can take a lot of time, if you have somebody who's dedicated to prospecting, they've got the list, they've got the outreach, they've you know they've got the the the, the ability to burn through a whole lot of stuff to create some appointments, and that that appointment time could be perhaps you know better used by somebody that you know that that's not spending half of their day prospecting. Well, yeah, that's that's also a, a way to look at it, you know, and and I am 
just like everyone else probably on this call, I'm doing all roles, but I still dedicate certain blocks of time a week for prospecting. The skills that I use for that block of time is very different from the work that I'm doing as we march into the pipeline a little bit further. So you have, if you look at it that way, that you're wearing these different hats, but you're wearing them in blocks of time. And for prospecting, you're doing it consistently. It's almost like you've, 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 you're, you're got a really strong grit when you're doing prospecting because you're tenacious, you're persuasive, you're passionate, you're persistent. And that may not work very well as you march down the pipeline with prospects and you want to get more into the relationship side of things. Well, and, and you make a great point because, you know, many of my listeners are small business owners and they might be thinking, well, I don't I, you know, I've got two salespeople. I can't afford a prospecting team necessarily. Right. But I think that is really a key. You definitely have a prospecting function in your business. Mm-hmm. You know, where does it fit? It's like, uh, it's like the small business that has, you know, three, three people in the business and I have them build an org chart because, you know, all of those functions exist. It's just a matter of, you know, how you compartmentalize the time to do them. So I think that's a, a great point. It doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It, it's almost a mindset. Yes, it's a mindset, it's a block of time, and it's consistent. That word consistent has got to flow throughout when you're thinking of prospecting because everyone has experienced the peaks and valleys, and we talk about that, and what prospecting does consistently is level that out so you're not freaking out towards the end of the quarter or the end of the month that you don't have yeah. enough in the pipeline. Yeah. So for the last five, maybe ten years, us marketing types have been talking about producing content and telling stories and people will show up with their wallets. Um, and I know that there's certainly a lot of sales folks, yourself included, uh, that would say, no, you got to get on the phone. You've got to email and that that's, you know, the only predictable way to uh, create qualified appointments. So how do you manage this inbound versus outbound struggle? What I like to do is think of accounts or, or clients as dream clients, and that would be kind of the whales, the, the folks that are going to bring in a lot of revenue that are probably high likelihood of closing and high revenue potential for my business. And I put them in a special bucket called outreach because I want to target them, I want to reach out to them, and I want to be able to start conversations with them on a regular basis. The next tier out, if we look at a bullseye, that would be the middle of my bullseye, those high revenue accounts. There's not very many of them, but it's definitely on my radar and I want to go after them because I know they will love me and I love them. The next ring out are people that are maybe close to being a target, but but I can't necessarily justify spending the time bringing them into the into my fold. So I may leverage technology to wake up that chill and, and get them out of their dormant stage so that they can bubble up to the top. And then everybody else would, would be pretty much the inbound channels, any social work that I do, any relationship referral work that I do, where you know, they're great to have, but they're not predictable for me. They're great, great income, but I can't rely on them for a consistent revenue stream. So, you know, I've, I've for a lot of years been talking about, especially as people were kind of jumping on this inbound, inbound, inbound is I think, I think if you do a good job with inbound, your outbound will be far more effective. And I think if you do a great job with outbound, your inbound will grow. And I've proven that over and over again, that the outreach efforts that we've done led to people 
going to our website, curiosity of who are these people and why are they contacting me? And this is pretty great content. Let me find out more about them. So we do see a spike in the inbound as well because we are reaching out to these people on a consistent basis with what we call value added, which is a term that drives me crazy, but it's really looking at ways that we can teach our prospects why they should change what they're doing, why now, and why us. Let me ask you a question. How many emails do you have in your inbox right now? A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand? But you can't just delete them all. There has to be a way to take your inbox back over. If it's running your life, there was a point in my business where I felt like all I did was delete email. And then I found a tool called SaneBox. It really allows you to take back control of your inbox, of your email. Uh, It starts off by taking everything you've got in there today and figuring out what's important, what's not important, and creating folders and places for it to go that in some cases you'll never see again, but in other cases you can quickly check. Uh, There's also tools in there to remind you when you need to follow up on an email. Uh, It's actually incredibly accurate, and I have worked with the folks at SaneBox to get you a discount, my listeners. So if you visit SaneBox, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com, slash duct tape, you're going to find that you can get a $25 discount just because you are a listener of this show. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X, SaneBox.com slash duct tape. So one of the things I find that really good salespeople do is they're actually usually, because they're so focused on an ideal client, they're very good at disqualifying. And I think that that is a skill that is very hard and very scary for a lot of business owners. Um, How do you suggest that people get good at that? Well, you know, if the way I like to look at it is my target, those target accounts in the middle of the bullseye, I'm going to work really hard at qualifying them. As we start moving out and they're in the less desirable layers of my bullseye, then I'm going to try to get them off my active pipeline as quickly as possible. So I disqualify, and I look to disqualify because I really want the pipeline to be a pipeline, not a lake. Things aren't going to just fester in there and sit around. I want to get them out, or I want to move them forward. So disqualification is really the only way to do that, to keep that pipeline robust, moving with a high velocity. But I will take certain accounts that I covet and I won't let go until they physically carry me out of their office kind of let go. (laughs) So one of the challenges I think with a lot of small businesses is the chief salesperson also has to live with that client (laughs) that's been (laughs) sold. They actually have to do the work. So I think a lot of times, um, you know, you might you might disqualify somebody on firmographics or on, you know, maybe the challenge that they have, but a lot of times a small business owner needs to be alert to, you know, what the relationship's going to be like, what kind of person it is. How is, how is it going to be like to work with this person? And that's a, you know, that sometimes doesn't happen or, or is hard to make happen until you're kind of in it. Well, but if you'd really work at that SWAT six, that's that first step in the process. What will emerge between that, your ideal account profile, and then your ideal prospect persona, those three things combined will give you a sense of who you want to work with, the culture of the company that they come from or businesses that they represent, the type of person they are, and 
over time, as you do more of this outreach, you'll, your radar will be spot on as to who will continue to start, you know, you'll continue to have that sales dialogue with or who you're going to politely say, you know, I don't think this is a good fit for now. Yeah. And one of the things I, I can't stress enough is is that, you know, not being matched with an ideal client is the fastest way to cut your profit <laughs> that I know of because you, you will spend more time trying to satisfy, you know, a not ideal fit. But till you've done it a few times, it's a little hard to say no. And we've all been there. We've all had the horrific client that we knew in our gut wasn't going to work out, but we still thought, oh, you know, maybe it'll be different this time around. And it's not. Okay. I'm sold. Let's cut to the chase. How do you build and operate a successful outbound prospecting program? Well, the first thing I would do is take a real gut check as to who you are, like we're a solo, like me, who you are as a person and whether you can dedicate the time to do prospecting. And it's something that the most important concept of prospecting is this concept of block time. It's putting in every day or three days a week or two days a week, depending on your ideal number of opportunities you want per month. It's putting in the time necessary to have those conversations and meaningful conversations, those conversations that move you into the pipeline further like a mile marker on a freeway, or they exit out because you've disqualified them. So you have to really start thinking about, can I do this on a consistent basis? After that, you really need to focus on who your ideal clients are, where they are, why they would use you, why they should change what they're doing now, and really dig deep into why you matter and what clients you can truly serve and what clients will stay with you in the long term to increase that lifetime value. Once you've done that, then you start crafting, figuring out, okay, how many opportunities do I want per month, per week, per quarter, whatever it is. And there are metrics for outreach, thank goodness, that drive those, that we know how many conversations you should have in order to generate the number of opportunities that you've delineated as what you need. And then it's really just after you've assembled, it's activating and then optimizing. You're constantly tweaking, taking one piece of it and fine-tuning it, moving on to the next, fine-tuning that, and then going back to the beginning and starting over again. How do you get people past – and I know you haven't used these terms, and so I, I, I'm not suggesting that you're advocating this, but a lot of people default to – uh, an outbound prospecting program is basically cold calling is, you know, if I do a thousand dials, all I need is 10 appointments. Uh, you know, how do you get people past that, what I call very low value prospecting? Well, that's, believe it or not, one of my qualifiers when I work with clients. If they're insistent on looking at vanity metrics, and I consider dials a vanity metric, I consider, you know, uh, the number of conversations that you have regardless of movement in the pipeline. So they, the, my clients have to be willing to say, okay, let's define what a meaningful conversation is. And that's the metric that we look at in order to get past this concept of cold calling. In order to have meaningful conversations, that means we need to serve up the conversation somehow, whether we use marketing tools, whether we have basically allocated time to develop relationships through education, whatever those channels are, we incorporate that into the mix so that our first conversation isn't cold, it's warm. So you have in the book um, a everybody has to have these frameworks. You know, you have a seven point outreach process, and we don't have to go into all those seven points. But 
Uh, tell people where they can find, obviously the book's available everywhere, but uh, where they can find uh, about how they might even go deeper uh, with some of your training and, and resources. Perfect, yes. The book has an accompanying webpage on my website. It's called MaryLouTyler.com slash swag. S-W-A-G stands for Stuff We All Get. And on that page is this seven-step process. I've done a number of different webinars. I have video training. Uh, you name it, I've done it. It's out there. So if you really want to start diving in, that's the place to go. And that's MaryLouTyler.com. Correct. Slash swag. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mary Lou, for joining us. This is, you know, this is something that I think, I mean, you you think about that B2B business owner, service professional that only needs six more clients to, to really make or break the business. And I think this is, this is the approach that that person should be taking, in, in my opinion, as opposed to, you know, mass outreach on Facebook or something. I agree. And that's what I do with my business. I only need two to three a quarter and I know exactly how much time I need to dedicate and pour into the top in order to do that. And it's consistent and I have no stress. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Mary Lou. Hopefully uh, next time I'm passing through, I guess you're currently in Des Moines. Next time I'm passing through Des Moines, I'll (laughs) I'll honk at you. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.